as head over them. The Spirit of God came upon the messengers of Saul, and they also prophesied. When it was told Saul, he sent other messengers, and they also prophesied. And Saul sent messengers again the third time, and they also prophesied. Then he himself went to Ramah and came to the great well that is at Saku. And he asked, Where are Samuel and David? The one said, Behold, they are at Nioth in Ramah. And he went there to Nioth in Ramah. And the Spirit of God came upon him also. And as he went, he prophesied until he came to Nioth and Ramah. And he stood, uh, and he too stripped off his clothes. And he too prophesied before Samuel and lay naked all that day and all that night. Thus it is said, is Saul also among the prophets. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we pray this morning that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and redeemer. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we look at this passage today, we see that it is a story about divine protection. Three times God protects his servant David. He protects him through godly Jonathan, through ungodly McCall, and then he shows up directly without any human intervention, and he protects David from the messengers of evil King Saul. But as we think about this this theme of divine protection, we sense that it's something that we need, that we desire, that we long for, that we face danger in the world, that maybe you have prayed in the car before a long car trip, or maybe you prayed driving to church on an icy Sunday morning for protection. Someone prayed in the prayer gathering this morning for you as you drove in for divine protection to get into church this morning. Maybe you've prayed on an airplane as you're facing turbulence, that you've prayed for children as they go off to college or the the first time that you're not with them, that we pray for divine protection, divine safety. And you know this if you have small children, that children can be afraid at night before they go to bed or in the middle of the night. And then as parents, we'll pray with our children, we'll remind them of God's promise of safety and provision. And in a sense, those promises are are true. They're rooted in Scripture, that the Bible promises divine protection for God's people. Let me read a few of these passages. I'll, I'll read them back-to-back, so you won't necessarily have time to turn to each one, but if you're taking notes, you can write them down. So Deuteronomy 
31, verse 6. Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them. For it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Psalm 91, verse 14 to 16. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Or Psalm 121, verse 7 to 8. The Lord will keep you from evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Or Isaiah 41, verse 10. Fear not, I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous hand. Or Proverbs 18.10. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and is safe. Psalm 34 verse 7. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. 2 Thessalonians 3.3. The Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. And that's just a selection of the the promises of safety and protection in the Bible. And of course, you could go through that list, and maybe you know the word hermeneutics, but it's the, the study of biblical interpretation. How do you read a text? And you could look at those promises and say, well, is this one for me? Because this was for people at a certain time and a certain context in the history of the Bible? Can I directly apply those promises to me? And each one of those passages, we could debate how much we can directly apply those promises to our situation. But yet, the the overall picture shines through loud and clear that God promises protection for his people, divine protection from danger. That's why when you're with your children and you're saying, don't worry, God will be with you, God will protect you, that you're not lying, that you're drawing on the the promises of Scripture. But then, if you're like me, that there can be the, the cynical voice in your heart. And you say, well, wait a second, does God really protect his people? We heard from our New Testament reading about great John the Baptist who was preaching and baptizing, and he was beheaded by King Herod. Where is God's protection for John the Baptist? Or you look throughout human history that you can see times where God clearly shows up in protection for his people, keeping all of those promises that I listed. But then you could think of Dietrich Bonhoeffer as a faithful Christian theologian and pastor who was murdered by the Nazis before the Allies arrived in World War II, or the countless martyrs throughout human history who have died for their faith, or all the people around the world who are suffering all of the believers who endure 
suffering or the loss of loved ones and tragedies in their life. And you say, is it true that God protects his people? How do we understand this? And and what we see here, both from the promises that I've read, but also in the pattern here in our text, is God's pattern of protecting his people. So we're going to look at that pattern in this text. And so first, God has a pattern of protecting his people through godly people. That God uses godly people to protect. And that's what we see in verse 1 to 10 in our Bible. So as you look there, you'll see that, that David is in danger, that Saul is trying to kill David again. This will come up in 1 Samuel. He keeps coming back again and again. And Saul's son, Jonathan, helps David hide. And then Jonathan goes and meets with his father. He intercedes for David. And you'll notice how our text highlights the the godly character of Jonathan. Look at verse 4 in your Bible. And Jonathan spoke well of David to his father and said to him, Let not the king sin against his servant David, because he has not sinned against you, and because his deeds have brought good to you. For he took his life into his hand, and he struck down the Philistine, and the Lord worked a great salvation for all Israel. You saw it and rejoiced. And so you see Jonathan here, he's speaking of Yahweh, the the Lord of Israel, and he's attributing David's success to the Lord. He's calling his father to justice, saying he hasn't sinned against you, so you shouldn't sin against him. And you'll see how Saul relents and swears falsely by the name of Yahweh, showing his ungodliness. But again, we, we see this, this godly character of Jonathan here in our text. And that God has a, has a pattern throughout the Bible of protecting people through others who know him and who love him. You could think of how God used Moses to save and deliver and protect his people as they came out of Egypt. Or the way he used Esther to protect the people of Israel when they were facing the the threat of Haman. God uses his people. And this is part of the reason that Christian community is so important. That others in church with you this morning can be a source of of safety and protection from the Lord in your life. That it could be a a word of encouragement, an act of service, an act of generosity, that we need Christian community for safety, that the Lord works through those around us to accomplish His purpose. Or maybe God is even going to use you as an instrument to protect someone else around you to be a shield and a defense for someone who's in need. So again, God has a pattern of protecting his people through godly people. We see that with Jonathan here in our text. But then second, 
God has a pattern of protecting His people through ungodly people. But God will, will use even those who don't know Him or worship Him to protect His people. So look in your Bible at verse 11 to 17. And you'll see how David is in danger again. That another war arises, David fights, Saul becomes jealous again, and he wants to kill David. Again, he throws a spear at David in his court. We saw that last week as well. So this is not a safe place for David. He flees away, and he goes to his home, and it says that the secret police of Saul, the, the, the messengers, the soldiers of the king, come to take David from his home. And somehow his, his other child, Michal, remember his child Jonathan, an example of a godly person. Then here we see Michal, the other child of Saul who had married David. And she here is an instrument of the Lord to protect David from harm. And you'll see what she does, that she warns David. Maybe she heard that this threat was, was coming. And then look at how, what she does in verse 13. Look there in your Bible. McCall took an image and laid it on the bed and put a pillow of goat's hair on its head and covered it. And so this is like something out of a movie where he, she's trying to prevent the, these secret police from coming and taking David. And so it says in the ESV, in the main text, that she put an image into the bed. But, but my Bible has a footnote that says, household God. That when this, when this word is used elsewhere in the Old Testament, it refers to idols. And if you were to go to the Anthropology Museum in Philadelphia, you can see household gods, images that were used at this time in ancient Israel, about 900 years before the birth of Christ. And so it's, it's interesting to say, well, what is McCall doing with a household god? And it casts a little light on the words of Saul back in, in verse 21 of the previous chapter, of chapter 18, she said, let me give her to him that she may be a snare to him. And so there's, there's a good chance that she was falling into the idolatrous practices of the surrounding nations, that perhaps she was worshiping Yahweh, but also had household gods, and that she's, she's using this, this, this image to deceive the servants of Saul. And then it says that Saul says, well, if he's sick, we'll bring him here on his bed. And so they, they go in, they pull back the sheets. There's the, the idol in the bed, um, the goat's hair on his head. And David has escaped out the window and has gotten away to a place of safety. So again, in, the, in one sense, McCall is the one protecting David here. But turn with me in your Bible to Psalm 95. So this is going forward in my Bible. You can always find the book of Psalms. It's almost the exact middle in your Bible. If you go to the middle, you'll find the book of Psalms. And this is Psalm 
59. Psalm 59. The Psalms were written by many different people in ancient Israel, but the majority of the Psalms were written by King David as poetic reflections on his experience with the Lord that became then the foundation for Old Testament worship and prayer and praise and also New Testament worship and praise. And so look at, at Psalm 59, and you'll notice that there is a, a preface. And listen to how David prefaces the psalm. He says, To the choir master, according to do not destroy a mictum of David, when Saul sent men to watch his house in order to kill him. And so it's saying that, that this psalm is, is written as David's reflection on this experience that we're reading about from 1 Samuel. And notice what he says in verse 1. He's praying to the Lord. He says, deliver me from my enemies, O my God. Then notice our key word for today, protect me from those who rise up against me. Deliver me from those who work evil and save me from bloodthirsty men. And the psalm goes on. But then look at the, the final two verses of the psalm, verse 16 and 17. David says, But I will sing of your strength. I will sing aloud of your steadfast love in the morning. For you have been to me a fortress, a refuge in the day of my distress. Oh, my strength, I will sing praises to you. For you, O oh God, are my fortress, the God who shows me steadfast love. And so you can see that from, from David's perspective, it wasn't the, the idol that delivered him. It wasn't even the, the human instrumentality of his wife, McCall, that when he considers the, the protection and the safety that he prayed for, that he sees God as the ultimate source of, of safety and security. And so he gives thanks. And it's the same for us today, that we can be protected by those who don't even know the Lord. That maybe you experience the, the protection of a doctor who may not know the Lord, but helps to, to heal your body. Or we could think of police officers or first responders who, who may not know the Lord, but in times of need and danger, they're so often there for us to protect us. But yet behind that safety, it's always the Lord that, yes, we give thanks to the humans who provide safety and protection, but it's, it's God who provides safety. It is God who protects us in the midst of danger. Again, God has a pattern of protecting his people through godly people, through ungodly people who don't know him. But then finally, God has a pattern of protecting his people directly without any human intervention. And we see this in verse 18 to 24. So if you turn with me in your Bible back to chapter 19 of 1 Samuel, 
Look at verse 18 to 24. And you see that David flees from his home to a town called Ramah. And it's about three miles away. So, 90-minute walk. It's not very far. And he finds refuge in the, the home of Samuel. Remember, the old prophet Samuel, who had anointed Saul and then anointed David. And apparently, Nioth in Ramah was some sort of, the, one commentary called it a religious compound, uh, where Samuel lived with other prophets who would prophesy in Israel. But then Saul gets word that he's encamped with Samuel at Nioth. And so he sends his first group of messengers in verse 20. And they approach and they see Samuel prophesying, the, the other prophets prophesying. And they also fall down, that there's some sort of ecstatic vision or experience where they they lose control of their natural faculties, that they begin proclaiming the mighty works of God, and they're unable to complete their mission. And then, not easily deterred, Saul sends another, a second group of messengers at the beginning of verse 21. They come, the same thing happens, that they prophesy, they're overcome, they're unable to complete their mission. Then the second half of verse 21, he sends another group the third time, and they are overcome and and unable to complete their mission. And so you could think of uh, Saul, he's thinking, man, if you want to get anything done, you have to do it yourself. There's no good help around here. So he goes himself to Ramah. He asks people at the well in that town where he could find David. And they say he's up at Nioth with Samuel. So David goes up, sorry, uh, Saul goes up, and then he is overcome as well, that he prophesies. And it it even says that he is stripped naked before the Lord. He's, in a sense, humiliated, losing all control, unable to capture David, that he's defeated without any kind of human intervention trying to take David But of course, this pattern of God protecting his people directly without any human intervention, that we see this elsewhere in the Bible. There are many examples, but you could think of Daniel chapter 3, where God protects Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. No human intervention. Or you could think of Daniel in the lion's den in Daniel 6, 22. He's thrown in with the lions. God protects him, this supernatural intervention. Um, No humans necessary, that that humans are not needed for safety and protection, that God can do it directly in the world. And therefore, we can trust that God is able to protect us. He can protect us through others, godly people, ungodly people. He can protect us directly wherever we are, whatever we face. And therefore, ultimately, we don't need to be afraid of anything or anyone. That's why it says in the Bible that the Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Where Isaiah 43 verse 1, 
Fear not, says the Lord, for I have redeemed you. I've called you by name. You are mine. That God is able to protect us. But then we can come full circle and remember that, that question that I raised, that, that cynical question of the human heart. Yeah, God is able to protect me. He can protect me through godly people, through ungodly people, directly without any human intervention. But can I really trust him to show up in my hour of greatest need? Will he protect me? Yes, he may protect someone else at some other time and some other place, but is this promise for me when I am afraid, when I'm in trouble? Or is God somehow inconsistent, or is he not true to his promises? I've already mentioned John the Baptist being beheaded. He wasn't protected. Later in 1 Samuel, we'll see godly Jonathan die in a battle. Where was God's protection? And the ultimate example of this is Jesus Christ himself. That Jesus was protected throughout his earthly ministry. You remember that was one of the temptations of Jesus with Satan in the desert, where Satan says, throw yourself over the cliff, because God will protect you. And he says, we shall not put the Lord to the test. But then it seems at the end of Jesus' life that this protection was withdrawn, that, that there, there was no protection for him because he, he went to, to death. He was nailed to a cross. He was suffering. He was dying. And listen to what the crowd around Jesus said as he was suffering. It said, he trusts in God. Let God deliver him now if he desires him. For he said, I am the son of God. But that was the, the great accusation at the cross, that God promises to, direct, to protect his people. He promises safety. But then look, here is the Son of God suffering, dying. God is not faithful to his promises. He will not protect. He will not defend. That was the accusation around the cross. So how do we understand this? I love what one commentary on this passage said. Um, Dale Ralph Davis, he says that I can be confident that God will protect me until whatever he has ordained for me to do or to be ha is accomplished. That God promises protection for us in this life as, as long as he wants us here. And from the human perspective, at times it may seem that that Protection is withdrawn. But think about Jesus, that at first, from a human perspective, it seemed like he had been defeated on the cross, that there was no protection, that there was no safety for him and God. But then he was raised from the dead in, in victory over sin, over death, that he ex entered into life, the ultimate safety of, of heaven as he ascended and is coming back again to judge the the living and the dead. And so it's not that God's promises were false. It's that there was a delay in the fulfillment of the promise. But, but ultimately, that promise of safety and protection was fulfilled in the resurrection of Christ. 
and that it's the same for you and me here today, that we may not experience the kind of supernatural deliverance and protection that, that David experienced at a unique time and place as the Lord's anointed, but that we can trust that, that he will protect us in whatever he's calling us to do. And if it ever feels like that safety is withdrawn when we enter into difficult things in our life, that it's, that it's only a delay of the ultimate promise. That it says in, in the Bible in 2 Corinthians 1 that all of the promises of God find their yes and their amen in Jesus. That the, the promise of perfect safety and protection is found as we repent of our sins and as we put our, our trust in Jesus. That we know that whatever trials we've passed through in this life, whatever valleys we go through, even when we go through the valley of the shadow of death, that the ultimate hope for us is to be pulled out of that into the ultimate final safety of the new heavens and the new earth, the final home that God is preparing for us where there will be no more tears, no sorrow, no danger, perfect safety and protection forever and ever and perfect joy with God. That that is the hope for all of us who are in Christ. And as we come to our, our meal today, that this, this meal helps us trust this promise that here in this bread and in this juice, we, we see a picture of, of Jesus' suffering, of, of when it seemed like the divine protection was taken away as his body was broken, his blood was shed. Where is, where is God? But then we also see here the, the promise of, of future safety and protection that that when you're in danger, you're not sitting down for a really good meal with, with friends, that you're, you're on the run in the wilderness. And that's often where we are in the, the wilderness of life. But, but here we see this meal where, where we celebrate together, we dine together. And what we're looking forward to is, is the picture of this meal that is the ultimate final celebration of the new heavens and the new earth what's called in the Bible the marriage supper of the Lamb, when we'll dine with Christ in glory. And in that day, there's no danger that something is going to come that'll shake or break that place of safety, that it is completely secure. All the promises of God are true in Christ. Now, if you're, if you're here and, and you're still exploring who Jesus is, what he has done, and we're glad you're here, but we would encourage you not to, to take this. That this is for those who have put their trust in Jesus. And it's, it's not a statement that we view ourselves as better, but that actually we view ourselves as worse. Though we are those who cannot save ourselves, that we are those who desperately need Jesus and his perfect life and sacrificial death for us. And our only hope and only possibility of salvation and ultimate safety is in Christ. And so we look to him for everything. But for the rest, you don't have to be a member of Hope Church or Presbyterian Church, but to be one who is resting in Jesus, who is who's made that public by being part of a church that proclaims the gospel, not barred by the action of another church from taking this, and ultimately one that can join in, in professing the faith that we hold together. So I'd encourage you to turn with me to page 9. 
And we're going to read the Apostles' Creed together. That this is an, an ancient statement of Christian belief from the, the earliest generations of Christians when they wanted to summarize the, the main ideas of the gospel, of Christianity. Who is God? What has he done for us? That because this is true, we have safety and protection in him. So let's profess our faith. Church, what do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. So in the night that our Lord was betrayed, he took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. The same way after supper, he took the cup, said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So come forward whenever you're, you're ready. It doesn't have to be any particular order. And come down the, the middle here. Um, I'll have the bread. I can break off a priest and give it to you. And Ethan, if you're willing to stand with the juice beside me, that would be fantastic. Um, and then we have gluten-free here if you need it. And then uh, you, Ernie, faithfully every week takes this around. For any, if mobility is an issue, raise your hand, and Ernie is happy to bring that to you. Thank you. But before we take this, let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for the God of being the God of safety. That's you're our refuge, our strength, our, our firm foundation. What can we fear? What can man do to us? Lord, we pray that we would not live in fear of any danger, whether it's something immediate in our experience or even on the national or international stage or current events. Lord, that we know that you will protect us in this life as long as you have a mission for us. And Lord, that ultimately you keep your promises to protect us, to bring us into the place of safety, that all of your promises are yes and amen in Christ. And so we look to him and we thank you that we can be strengthened as we take this together. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.